Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I am your host, Dave Roberts, and today it's my pleasure to have as my guest, Hope Rieger, and I am going to read Hope's bio in her words. I created, developed, and facilitated Grief to Hope to honor my son and to keep his memory alive. I believe I was given this pain for purpose and positivity, to provide kindness, support, and love to all grievers. I want to provide value with a safe place of peace, hope, and support in a family atmosphere for all to come and be their authentic self. Know we all understand and know no one is alone in this journey. And hope from what I know of you from the Global Grief Network, those words fit your you and your mission to a T. So welcome. I am excited to have you as a guest today. It's so good to be here. It's my pleasure to be here with you. So for starters, please tell our listeners about the event or events that have shaped your life path to this point. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's a lot. But um, the most traumatic event that set my path um, in this direction was I lost, as you mentioned, uh, my son to murder in 2016. He was the age of 19. Um, him and his roommate were in an altercation that started verbal, that led to physical, and then led to deadly. Um, his roommate had pulled a gun um, and put it to Justin's chest and shot and killed him. Now, Justin didn't have any weapons during this altercation, this fight. This It was a physical fight between two grown men. And um, as you can imagine, him living in a different city than I do, I heard that dreaded knock at the door, which absolutely ended up being a twist where the police simply asked me if I was Justin's mother and handed me a note that said, this person's trying to reach you. And so I received this note with two police officers standing there and I asked them simply what it was about, and they didn't tell me. They said they didn't know. And so I had to, to go into my bedroom, dialed the number, and the person on the other line said Green County Coroner. And so from that moment, I say it's version 1.0, and now I'm version 2.0 after that moment. So that's where the path has led me. That's, that's an interesting way to be informed of your son's passing. Have you known that type of communication to occur in other areas since, you know, since you've been um, 
exploring this this cause of death and the issues related to it? Unfortunately, it is not abnormal. Um, it's not sometimes like the movies where you get the knock at the door and there's two police officers or a police officer standing there. Um, in the past several years, just doing podcasts such as yours, I've learned that there's um, some some people don't even get a call. Some people don't even get anyone showing up. They find out on the news or social media or um, unfortunately, um, someone in their family finds out from, again, social media, the news. Um, and, and, it's, and it's heartening. It's hard um, because at that moment, with everything that's going on with social media and the world, it's hard to feel like you're secure or safe in what they're telling you. Um, so that puts that other layer on it for me. Mm -hmm reaching out and it was the green County corner and he knew who I was and, and, and that there was no speculation, but I can't imagine, um, hearing from a family member or on social media. Yeah, that would be, um, two ways I would not want to find out and particularly yeah. social media being, um, one of the less desirable ways to find out. And even as a, uh, an adjunct professor at Utica University, I tell my students, when you're communicating bad news, don't text it, don't put it on social media, do a face-to-face, -face, or at least call somebody in the family to find out what the status is, how they prefer to have the information relayed. Have they actually relayed the information about that person's death? It's important to find out that information before becoming premature to just shoot off a text and say, so-and-so passed, so-and-so transitioned, so-and-so died as a result of, of being murdered, as a result of suicide. Um, that's the worst way you can communicate, I think, any news about that type of a tragic event or life-altering event. You know, Dave, ironically enough, I lost my cousin this weekend that I grew up with, um, and I found out via social media, his dad had put um, that he had lost his son. And we had over the years, you know how families do, they sort of separate, go their own ways. But that is, a, again, I'm texting my sister saying, is this true? Is this, is, is this really what happened? Because, you know, he was young. And um, it is, I don't think people understand that when events such as this occur, that it affects and impacts so many that when you put it on social media, it's, it's very, um, it's hard. It's hard to digest, but it's also hard to, to confirm, okay. you know, so. Yeah, particularly once that happens, then you get information from a variety of different sources, which may or may not be accurate, or may just simply confuse uh, the facts even more. So yeah. yeah, maybe we can uh, do another podcast some, some day <laughs> in terms of how to not use social media or how to use social media to communicate sensitive information. So it may be I, another topic. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Please tell our listeners about Justin. We want Absolutely. to get to know him through your eyes. So 
Oh, absolutely. He, Justin, was the most amazing, beautiful child. Um, he was trouble from day one. Um, he came out and they had to be resuscitated uh, when I gave birth to Justin. And he waited quite a long time to finally come. So he's been uh, challenging ever since day one. But um, he, Justin was fearless. He was um, very much a leader. Uh, he was very caring and giving. Um, he also, um, he was very, his smile was contagious. Um, but the most, the most precious thing about Justin was his sense of humor and how he could take the worst of times, uh, the worst of situations and make them somewhat brighter. And that's what I carry with me a lot. It was his sense of humor, his his jokes, his 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 way of looking at life. And he was always very optimistic and never never let anything push him down, you know, and he feared nothing. And sometimes that fear got him in trouble. Sometimes that fear um, caused him to be in bad situations. Um, never fearing, but he would always be the kid that um, would look out for the underdog, would um, cheer other people on, but he never lost sight of being a giver, what it meant to giving back, and what um, being a genuine person. If anything, and it, it may have been ugly when he tell you something, but <laughs> he was genuine and he knew, um, you know, sometimes the truth isn't the most beautiful thing, but sometimes people have to hear it. So he was always honest, always honest. I remember he broke a window in our garage one time and he just literally walked in eight, nine years old, never feared getting in trouble. He's like, hey, I just broke the window in the garage. You could have blamed it on anybody, but he just walked in and simply said, hey, I just broke the window. So that was the kind of person that he was. He was, he was very much um, truth, truth telling. Well, and I can see from the contacts that we've had that you've integrated many of Justin's wonderful qualities into your own narrative, and you've kind of redefined your life story by integrating the best pieces of him into the best pieces of you. And I think in, when we do that, we now become a package deal with our, our children who are now, are now our ancestors. But we, we, we move forward with with them in grief when we can integrate uh, their purest and most wonderful qualities. I think that is amazing that you just said that because today, this morning, while I was at the gym, I heard somebody said to look in the mirror and tell them, the loved ones, hey, like for me, it would be Justin, you're in my heart. We are now living and we're doing this together. And that's exactly the way I feel. That's great. I love that. Well, thank you. And I, I feel the same way, in, you know, with, with, with my uh, transition daughter, Janine, is that the best pieces of her become the best pieces of me. And whenever I engage in, in purpose-driven activities, it's always with her as opposed to in memory of her. And that's, I love that. 
it's, it's, that's part of the, the ongoing transformation of, of grief and the ongoing shift in perspective that occurs over time. That's awesome. Love or it. That, or that can occur over time. I should also add that. Yeah. Thank you. I, I love what you, you're doing um, in, in honor of and with, your, with Justin as well, too. What are the issues, Hope, that you've seen with families whose loved ones have been murdered that have to deal with that make this type of loss so different from others? And the second part of my question is how can we as a society, as grief coaches, as therapists best support families whose lives have been turned upside down because a loved one has been murdered? Um, so that question is such an amazing one, and I never get asked that very often. Um, one, there is a whole new layer when there's murder involved, and, and I don't mean with the grief part, I mean with the court system. So there's a whole nother layer to um, the process that you must go through when you're grieving, and a lot of times um, with murder or uh, you know, something with the court systems, the courts engage is the time and the time that it takes from indictment to jury, grand jury to jury to trial. And a lot of times when there's a murder involved, one, you don't know the aspects. Like I didn't know how things were going to work um, with the person that, that admitted to killing Justin. Um, I couldn't imagine having like other families not knowing who's done it. So then that's another layer, like with the crime itself, where there's no one to indict, where they're searching for the killer, they're looking for the killer. And so there's a lot of time that goes into murder investigations. Um, and when there's a death, um, so you have sort of, I call it like the triple kind of layer where the first layer is you grieve the funeral um, and then you grieve or you get involved with that crime. And so you sort of put that grief on hold and you put it up on a shelf and then you start focusing on everything else that's gone with that. So with the crime, if there's an investigation, if there's um, all the way down to belongings, like I've never seen any of my son's uh, his cell phone or anything that all was taken in for evidence. Um, his, he had one shoe on at the morgue. I don't even know where the other shoe was just things like that. But then also you have news articles, you have news media. So you have that involved where they're trying to get the, um, information and boy, do they have stories like, you know, just like we hear different stories, they hear different stories, different perspectives. So then you have all of that feeding into you. This happened and, and for whatever reason, somebody said Justin struggled with the gun where I heard there was no struggle. He pulled and shoot and shot. And so you have all these different variations um, and then you have the truth. Right. So that second layer is the court systems and the investigation. And unfortunately, with mine, um, the gentleman that took Justin's life pled self-defense. And because of the circumstances of how the argument, the fight led, Justin was facing him towards a wall. So his back was up against a wall that he said there was no exits. 
So this trial or this indictment never happened. So it went to the grand jury for myself. And this was months after um, he pled self-defense and they did not indict him. They allowed self-defense and he was let go. So that was the next layer where I had to forgive and that took a lot of inside work for me and the anger and the hostility and the revenge that I was feeling was when I didn't protect my son from losing his life. Now the justice system let him down. Um, so I'm failing all these um, in memory of my son. So my son was murdered. Now the person that murdered, uh, it was almost like he got off with like a technicality. So now it felt like my son's murder now didn't really exist in a way that it should have in the criminal system. So as I'm saying this is there was a lot of these layers that you go through when you have murder, you have the actual murder, then you have the courts, the investigation, and then you have to somehow find that closure. And a lot of times people may or may not get that closure. They may or not may or may not get the right closure that they feel like they could wait three years and get a, a plea bargain or they could get um, a not guilty. Gosh forbid a not guilty plea. And so that's a whole different closure that they are expecting. So as we grieve a murder. It's you have several different layers of it. And with me, I got to this point where I believe that this was a sign for me to do something in a different direction than this anger and hatred and that I need to put that all towards something positive. That was my closure. And, and luckily enough, if you want to call it luck, I got it within six months of my son passing versus two or three years down the road where it's gone to trial and I've had to relive it and listen to all those stories. So I feel if the word's lucky, I don't think the word's lucky, but I feel fortunate that I only had to go through that path up to six months. And then I was like, okay, Hope, you, this is it, right? Mm -hmm. You can stay angry and hateful and mad and lay in that bed and not get up and no one would question you. And they wouldn't, right? No one would question me if I gave up mm -hmm. or if I just said, you know what, this is me right? This is how my life is. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be hateful. And everybody would not, would not say, okay, come on, Hope, get up. Let's do it. You know, you, but that's when I had to dig deep and find that inner hope that said, wait a minute, this isn't how my son, I, this isn't how I want him remembered. This isn't the way, like you said, I don't want him to be remembered as this person that got murdered and the person got off that did it. That, that's not what I wanted my son to be about. So ever since then, I've been forcing and moving and shaking and working really hard into living a life that him and I are proud of. And I had to forgive that person. And even though... People are like, what you, you, I said, listen, he's not thinking about hope. He's not thinking about Justin. Why should I give him that opportunity 
for me to spend any more time with him taking anything else from me. And I couldn't. I couldn't. That Justin meant way too much. So I knew I had to put forth all my energy and all my all my power into what I believed in honors my son. And to answer the second part of your question, support, we have got to stop this bias of when there's a murder, when there's cancer, when there's suicide, when there's drugs, when there's an overdose, that we've put towards that person dealing with the grief. And that is one of the things that people automatically shut down, um, especially I hear it a lot with suicide, is that there's a bias towards that person automatically. And we deal with that. And and the, the reason I'm saying this is that there's a person standing here left after that suicide, after that death, mm-hmm. after that health, that had n- nothing to do with any actions that that person took. And a lot of times that person that took that took their life or, or took the drugs or did the overdose, they never intended for the final to come. And if they did, the person that's still here has no impact on that and shouldn't be by, it shouldn't be treated as such. Mm-hmm. And I know that Justin, there was drugs involved with Justin, not that he, it was a drug deal or anything like that, but because he had Um, this house he stayed at, this person was known for drugs. It was almost like he was labeled immediately. Oh, it's just somebody from drugs or he's overdosed or it was a drug deal gone bad. And that wasn't even what happened. And so I think there's so many biases and so many um, ways that we treat people when they lose someone just because of the way that they, they lost. And it's and it's something that we've just got to stop. We've got to stop. And and I everything you said to both parts of those questions, I resonate with very deeply. And I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of times people will get caught up in how that person died, or the circumstances, or there are certain losses, as you know, such as suicide and losses that are related to addiction or any type of drug use that are stigmatized, a person is labeled as either weak, they're labeled as well, he, was he or she or they were just an addict. And essentially, what we need to focus on, I believe, is as therapists and as grief coaches, is one, the pain of loss and not the cause of death. We need mm-hmm. to be present to help those individuals who choose to, to move forward in a world that they know is, is different, but yet in a world where they now want to make a difference in honor of and with their loved ones. We need to be present to facilitate that process. And the second is really to not judge a person by their, their, the last few moments of their life or their last, what other people would deem worst action. We -hmm. look at the totality of their lives and what they brought to the table. And it's not to say that we idealize our children because I, as much as I love my daughter, um, there were times that she made me pull my hair out of my head. And those <laughs> things I, I acknowledge um, as well as, as what I love so much about her. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's helping individuals find their new reality in a way that is genuine for them 
and in a way that we can be present for it and facilitate that without judgment. That's what we all need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So tell us more about Grief to Hope and how the resources you provide support grieving individuals and in the process help them transform their grief. Absolutely. So um, after Justin passed, I searched for a way to provide meeting and to honor him. And um, I thought about writing a book and I thought about blogging and I thought about podcasting and I thought, you know, and I even tried several of them. Um, but nothing rang true until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, um, when I saw this virtual reality world come into play, and one that COVID added again, another layer to death, to grief. Like you couldn't go to funerals. You couldn't see people. You, you couldn't do the normal things that we did in closure. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know um, how I would have managed that. And so in doing so, I thought, okay, wait a minute. A support program that I belonged to when I first lost Justin, um, was something that was very dear and dear to me. Um, but what I learned in that, it wasn't really the program because it was more of a um, an old type of support program. I, I It was being around other people that just understood what I was going through. And so what I wanted to do in this virtual world was create something where people could come in their jammies, uh, they don't have to leave their house because, you know, when you're grieving, that could be a, a, a hurdle in itself. But I wanted people to come and to feel like they weren't so isolated and so alone, especially in this uh, COVID world that we were living in. And so I created a seven week virtual peer support program so it was basically it was open to anyone that was grieving at any time whether it was three weeks or 30 years it didn't matter um any type of grief um any type that 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 you know with whether it's murder or suicide or anything any religion any base that because that was one of the things with the program i was in it was christian based which was great but that wasn't for everybody right so i wanted everybody to feel like it was a home, it was a family, it was a support, um, a place where you could let your hair down, take off the grief mask and be yourself. And in October of 2020 was my first Grief to Hope seven week program, which was completely free and it's still completely free. I started a new one um, August 3rd of this year. Um, and it's basically seven weeks of we have a main topic each week and we spell out the first one. The first week, I just introduce myself. I share my story. I ask if anybody else wants to share their story, because I think there's power in every single story and that someone may uh, resonate with something another person says or my story or another story. And and then we talk about what grief is and the week second or weeks two through six, we spell out the word grief and we talk about the main topic is grief um, is G is gift of time. R is receive help. I is for inspiration. E is for expectation. F is feel everything. And then our last seventh week is to hope. 
And each one of those have meanings within themselves and what we talk about. And then we open it up for any other discussions, if there's something going on for the week. Um, and then I usually end with a quote and it's an hour long get together. And it's just been absolutely incredible. We're starting our eighth one again, like I said, in August. Um, but it's just a place where people, they don't have to ask, is this normal? Or if they do ask, we can say everything is normal in grief, right? Or am I doing this right or wrong? Uh, nothing is wrong in grief. Um, is it, you know, what's these stages? And we try to explain those stages. And this is our belief is those you could go through one through three and then go back to three. And then what if you never hit four? There's we there's no rhyme or reason to it. And also we explain that with grief, the way that I grieve my son is not the way I'm going to grieve someone else. And so it's just an open, honest conversation with people that um, need to be heard, want to be heard, want to share their story, or maybe just sit back and listen. And nobody is requesting, nobody is requesting anybody to speak if they don't feel comfortable. If you don't want to be on camera, you don't have to. It's just been an amazing experience. Now, one thing I did learn is that group programs are not for everybody. <laughs> and some people aren't very comfortable coming to a group setting. And so that was the reason that I ended up writing my book last year, Grief to Hope, which is basically my whole entire story and the way that the Grief to Hope process works. And so I've just been completely blessed. Um, I just put out a workbook um, for the program that will help you guide through. It's optional. If you want to get it, great. It's a digital download. Um, but it's just been the most amazing program process. Um, and I'm just honored to be a small part of it. Do you know offhand how many individuals have taken advantage of uh, your services? Yeah, there's been over 100 people that I've impacted over the past couple years. Um, I'm excited, I hope to reach more. And that's why I do what I do. I share it, I promote it. Um, again, it's absolutely free. And the reason why I do that is because I know there's people out there that don't have the means for counseling, that mm -hmm. don't have the means to find that uh, therapist. And if I can help in any small way and make their lives a little bit better, that's what I wanna do. Well, particularly, you know, I, I was first started working in the human service field in the 1980s, and the problem in the 80s is the same problem as there is today. There, there are more people that need treatment and resources than there are resources and treatment available. So yeah. one of, that's one of the things I like about very good quality support group programs is that it can provide an alternative and not so much an alternative, but it can provide some additional support to individuals who might not have quality mental health services they can access due to a resource issue, due to um, you know being you know in an extreme rural area, and particularly the virtual support I think is, has been uh, has been really really helpful for those individuals, like you said, who may find it nerve wracking just even and have, don't have the energy to get out of the house and share their story in person with uh, with another group. So I think what you provide is valuable. And I think those 100 people will have an impact on 100 more 
and it'll have kind of like a trickle-down effect. And hopefully that brings more individuals to, the serve, to, to Grief to Hope so that they can see the great service you provide. It'd be amazing. Be amazing. There's a quote I found on your website that I absolutely love, so I want to explore that with you for a bit. And this is what I what the, the quote that you could if you go on our grief to, to hope website we'll have that information at the end of uh, the podcast and in the show notes. The quote reads like this: "Grief changes your entire world. It can also inspire you to change the world." Can you elaborate on how this can specifically inspire grieving individuals to shift their perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things that I learned in my grief was I had to focus and I had to believe in something. And so to focus and believe in something and be inspired by something really takes you to the next level. And what I mean by that is it, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're creating a book or a program, it's believing in something in yourself that makes the world better, right? And that, that could be just internally for you. That could be you providing your story to that one person that changes their directory directory in their world. So it may not be a book. It may not be a support program. It may not be a podcast. It may not be something beautiful that we've done. It could be something as simple as going to a gravesite where your best friend's son lays and cleaning that grave and letting them know, hey, I was out here wiping this out, just wanted you to know. That's changing the world. That's changing their world because it provides an amount of kindness that they need at that time. And it may be something simple to you where you're like, hey, I was just driving by and I saw that, you know, the grave was a little dirty and I cleaned it up, but it means the world to someone else. And so even though it may not be huge, like writing a book, it's those simple tasks that make every single difference in the world. And so that's what I mean by changing the world is one small, one small kindness, one small task, one small movement um, that can impact so much. And people don't even realize that when they stop and get groceries for that person or they they like, hey, I got you Starbucks or, hey, I got you. I picked your kids up or can I can I mow your grass? And not just when grief happens immediately, but years down the road, that impacts so much. Um, I don't think people realize those small things can make such a difference. Yeah, and it's the small things that are actually the big things. It's and it just it's the gift of remembering. It's the gift of remembering the circumstances that got you to that point, and that drives those acts of love. Yes. And like I said, it doesn't have to be starting a foundation. It doesn't have to be writing a book. It could be simply something simple as opening a door for somebody who's hurting. Um, that in and of itself can get that person through a particularly difficult moment. I know because those small acts of kindness, particularly in the early phases of grief after the transition with my daughter, helped me get through some very challenging moments. Absolutely. They, those are the moments. I received a card 
it was literally three months after Justin passed and everybody went back to that normalcy and just receiving that card meant that that person was thinking about me enough to make that effort was incredible. And I'll never forget it. Never. And so little things that stay with us sometimes longer than the big things. <laughs> yes, you're so right. You're so right. Please give our listeners one or two takeaways from your life path that can help them transcend or address their own life challenges. Um, give yourself grief patience is what I call it. What I mean by grief patience is allow yourself the time and energy to heal um, in a way that works for you, in a way that you can feel comfort in. Um, find those trusted people that understand um, what you're going through and that it is normal. It is something that everybody grieves differently, but what you're going through is completely um, yours and yours alone, and no one can tell you different. So grief patience is what I call it, is amazing. And then again, hope. Believe in something. Find that thing that gets you out of bed every morning, um, whether it's big, small, uh, whatever will motivate you into believing in yourself and changing the day, whether it's changed the day for you or changed the day for someone else. There's believing in something, and it can be, again, as small or as big as you want, but find that hope, find that, dream it, live it in honor of your loved one. Well, thank you for that, Hope. And finally, if people want to contact you, find out more about your services and anything else that you have going on, any events, how they can get your books, how can they best do that? Absolutely. So it's um, my website is the best way. Um, it's grief, the number two, hope support.com. Um, and you can find my book on there. You can find my workbook on there. You can find the new schedule for our new Grief to Hope series. Um, you can also email me through there and I check it often. Um, but the website, again, grief, the number two, hope support.com. You can find me on Facebook under Hope Breaker Grief to Hope. You can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. So I am easily accessible. So please reach out. Excellent. Well, thank you, Hope. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of your wisdom and your insights. So thank you for joining me today. I hope we can do it again in the future. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. I love spending time with you. Likewise. And with that, that is another wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts. I wish you peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. And please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.